Do you remember as a young person, this is usually where it probably might have happened, but as a younger person playing the game, Simon Says? Just one or two. How many people have played Simon Says? Come on. All right, yeah, we've got some movement happening in the room here, and you can just tell our online host as well too if you've played that. You know, typically it was a game you played at school. Oh, you might have played it with your family or your siblings somewhere, but Simon Says, it's a simple game. Uh, somebody says, somebody plays the role of Simon, and the object is that you give them instructions that they've got to comply with, and if they don't comply with them, they're out of the game. Now, I'm a bit of a, I have a bit of a competitive streak in me, and so, uh, you know, as a younger person, I always wanted to be Simon. So, you know, Simon says, and he might say, rub your nose, and so you'd rub your nose. Or Simon says, hop on one foot. So you'd start hopping on one foot. Or Simon says, uh, jump up and down while rubbing your tummy at the same time. And so this would just go on and on. And if you didn't do that fast enough, you were kind of pushed out of the game. And the game would go on. But if Simon said something, gave an instruction without saying Simon says, if he said jump and you jumped, you're out of the game. Now, imagine if we just changed that game up for just a moment. And instead of we said, Simon says, we said, Jesus says. I wonder what that would look like. Now, it's not a game in that sense. And Jesus is very different to Simon, okay? So there is no comparison. The metaphor does break down a little bit. But if Jesus was to say something like, forgive that person. Or Jesus says, don't lust after that person. Or Jesus says, be kind to that individual. Jesus says, encourage rather than criticize. And Jesus says, live generously. How would we do with following the commands and the instructions that Jesus would say in that moment? You know, as we open up our Bibles and we read our Bibles, the Gospels are full of just instructions around Jesus told us how to live. You know, just turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. You could camp there for so long and just begin to pick that apart and all the things that Jesus is endeavouring to say to, to people whose lives were aligned around him and following after him. You know, how would we do at following the commands of Jesus? The reality is that Jesus isn't Simon. He's not like Simon. He's not trying to dupe or to trick us like Simon might. Because in reality, Jesus wants us to be imitating and obeying everything that he has said and done. That's what he wants for our lives if we are followers of Jesus. You know, last week we started this little series we've called Recreated. Started it last week. I'm going to put a bookend on it this week. But it was a series that we began to kind of just to to remind ourselves afresh as people who are on the journey of following Jesus that what's the goal for our lives? You know, the goal is not just turning up at church. The goal is not just, you know, endeavoring to, you know, help somebody else out. Uh, The goal goes much further than that. The the goal for our lives as believers and followers is we're on this journey of being recreated back into the image of God, into the image of our original design. You know, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ in that moment, you know, uh, in that moment where we declare our faith in Christ, we are instantly saved. You know, we are... Uh, our identity is given. We are sons and daughters of the King. We, uh, all of that is instantly guaranteed, but there is this journey that we begin, and it's a journey of transformation. You know, 
the Apostle Paul spoke about this in different instances where he just kind of affirmed uh, this journey of being recreated. In the book of Ephesians, Paul urges these new believers. And in this letter, he said, uh, put, on the new, or put off the old self and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in his letter to the Corinthians, he wrote these words. He said, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. This is this work of recreation. We are being recreated into his image, who is the Spirit. And so while it's really clear in the scripture that at that moment of faith, we are instantly justified and declared to be right by God through belief in Christ, The Bible also does talk about this, uh, declares that this work of recreation is an ongoing process. It is a journey. Hence some of the phrase that we've given around our journey training. Uh, We are on a journey of transformation. Now, if you were here last week, I am so hopeful that you've gone home and that after kind of discovering the, the why behind, you know, the goal of our lives, you've spent your whole week thinking about, well, how in the world does all of that take place? So you're back here today and you are primed and you are ready and you're excited saying, you know what, I actually want to know, well, how does that work? Well, how does it work? I mean, does that uh, process of recreation, of being recreated, does it happen by osmosis? Does it happen as I kind of sit on the couch, put my feet up, I've got my favorite snack, I'm binging Netflix, and I'm just kind of trusting that somehow supernaturally and mysteriously that God's going to transform me from the inside out? Be nice, wouldn't it? be really good imagine if tonight you sat down and you're tired and you spent an hour on the couch and then you got up and you were just you were different and something miraculously had changed and transformed in your life and it'd be good wouldn't it but you see it doesn't quite work that way you see as we read through the scriptures as we immerse ourselves in god's words we're told that God accomplishes this work of recreation in our lives by imitating and obeying Jesus, who is the perfect image of God, through the supernatural enlightenment and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, last weekend we looked at the why. Hey, for just a few moments this morning, I want to just push into the how. You know, being a follower of Jesus is not about a theory. It's, it's a, there, is, there, there, is a, there is a sense for what this journey looks like. I want to help us with that how today. You see, anybody can be a good person. You know, we can walk out of here today. We might have turned up here today and we kind of got in our car and we resolved in our own spirit. You know what? I am just going to be a good person today. Do you know what? I'm not going to get grumpy with my spouse. I'm not going to yell at the kids. I've already forgiven that person over there. This is going to be a wonderful day. And before you've gotten out of the car, you've had terse words with your spouse, you've yelled at the kids and you're thinking, my goodness, I really do want to be a good person. You know, it just doesn't happen by wishful or good thinking. You see, anybody can be a good person based upon the standards of the culture that are around you. You can always find somebody else that's not so good and you're thinking you actually are feeling pretty good. But as we live in the word of God, God's goal of recreating us back into his image is accomplished as we learn to imitate and to obey everything that Jesus has said and done through the supernatural empowerment and enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. I want to just push into this for a little bit today for us, because I think this is really important. 
You know, who is the Spirit? You know, who is this person of the Holy Spirit? And, and how does the Spirit uh, work in and through us to accomplish this goal of our recreation? Well, let's start by looking at the Spirit this morning. Just before Jesus left, in the Gospel of John, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus had just dropped a bombshell. It's like he'd stood up with the disciples, held the mic, and then just kind of dropped it. He, he dropped a, a bombshell about the fact that he was about to leave. Now, if you just spent three years with Jesus and your whole world was revolving around Jesus, uh, it was like a life group, you know, uh, in the sense that they spent all their life together. Well, not that our life groups live together, but, you know, take that whole point in the sense of community and just kind of grow it and put it on steroids. And they had, uh, they had lived in community for so long that suddenly Jesus says, you know what, guys, I'm about to leave you. Uh, through them. And so what did Jesus do into that moment? He actually speaks into their fear, into their anxiety, uh, into their uncertainty, and he uh, promises them uh, that God is about to give them uh, this person that would minister in and through them. Uh, he, he, he speaks about the Holy Spirit. This is what he says. It's going to be on the screens. But in John chapter 14, he says these words. I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he, being Jesus, lives with you now and later will be in you. Then in verse 26, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Now, there is so much in those verses of Scripture that we could just talk about for the next 15, 20 minutes, but we don't have time. I I want us to just focus in on the introductory statement that Jesus uh, actually gives to his disciples in this moment. It's like he eyeballs them and he looks at them and he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Now, a couple of things that I just want to look at as we focus on that statement. It's the word another, and then it's the word advocate. But let's start with the word another. This, uh, this word another. Jesus used this word for a specific reason. Uh, in, in that day, there was a couple of Greek words that could be used to, to explain the word another. In this moment, Jesus used a word that was very specific in this culture to uh, introduce the spirit. He uses a word that means of a same or like manner or similar kind to emphasize what God was about to do with these disciples. Uh, Jesus Jesus was saying to them in this moment that uh, even though he was about to go and they would no longer have his physical presence, that God was sending someone who was exactly like him to help them. He may not be with them anymore physically, but in his absence, God would said someone of the same essence. Do you get it? Someone just like Jesus. So similar to him that they wouldn't need to fear the gaping hole that his leaving would produce. I mean, this is revolutionary for these disciples. If you've been following Jesus for some years, you've probably heard this before, but they are hearing this for the very first time. And Jesus is saying, in one sense, I've been with you. But soon I'm going to be in you. And whilst they wouldn't quite get it this way, but, you know, better to be in you than to be beside you. 
Then he goes on to refer to the spirit uh, by calling him the advocate. Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another, someone just like me, another advocate. The word advocate can also be translated as helper. You might see that in your translation or comforter or counselor. But Jesus used this word, this same word on four occasions for the next two or three chapters to, uh, to seed both the name and the concept of his work in the hearts and the minds of his disciples. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, when he walked the earth, he came alongside of his disciples as their advocates and he helped them in a variety of different ways. For example, you know, when they were hungry, it was Jesus who found them food. I mean, in that moment, can you imagine being there at the feeding of the 5,000 people? Jesus found them fit. When they were tired, he gave them rest. When they felt unsure, he calmed their troubled hearts. You see, whatever his disciples faced, they could count on him to address their particular needs, to, to step in and to help. But since he was leaving and he could no longer provide that with his physical presence, he was now offering to them or saying that help was coming to them uh, in, the, in, the, in the means of the Holy Spirit. And so he, the Holy Spirit, would be there for them in their times of discouragement. He would calm their fears when they were troubled and afraid. And Jesus indicates in this passage that his spirit would also help them to remember all that he had taught them. The Holy Spirit was God's provision in Jesus' place, supernaturally helping them and all believers to not only know, but to understand the, the words, the teachings, the commands of Jesus. Now, Jesus said that, but the Apostle Paul picked up on that some 30, 40 years later when he was writing to the believers in Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 2, he says to them these words, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, that's the New Living Translation. If you've got an NIV, the back end of it, it says, Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, Paul makes it really clear that God is the one that is at work, clearly at work according to his good and perfect purposes. But I don't want us to miss what he's doing in this or what he is saying. See, we often look at the start and we see the ends. We're reminded that God is at work, yes, and uh, he's working according to his good purposes. We go, oh, amen, that's wonderful, that's great. And we overlook completely what Paul says in the middle. Just a little phrase. For God is at work causing us to will and to act for his good purposes. Do you see that? Paul reminds these believers that it's the Holy Spirit that it's at work supernaturally in their lives and our lives causing us to will and to act. To, to give us the desire and the power. That's what it means. Giving us the desire and the power to do something. But for what purpose? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work giving us the desire and the power to imitate and to obey everything that Jesus has said and done so that we might bring glory to God by being recreated into his image, back into the image of his original design. It's the Spirit that's causing us to will and to act. 
Now, you might be wondering, well, how does the Spirit cause us to will and to act? Well, God accomplishes that in our lives, according to Galatians 5.16, as we walk by the Spirit. In, in, in one sense, you could say it's in this abiding relationship. It's in this uh, step-by-step abiding relationship that we have with Him. Now, what, what does that look like? Well, I, I like to equate, maybe this will help us, I like to equate uh, an abiding relationship to uh, drinking a cup of tea. Any tea drinkers here in the room? Anybody like a good cup of tea? One or two, three or four, hands are going up all over the place. Wonderful. Do you know what? Think about that for a moment. If you want a weak cup of tea, you take your tea bag and you just kind of dip it in a couple of times and you sit it on the bench to use it again later in the day. And you come back because you still like a weak cup of tea and you put it back in and you drink it a couple of times and you take it out. And if you're a real miser, you might use it three or four times throughout the course of the day before you discard it. But if you like a really good strong cup of tea, you will take that tea bag and you will drop it into a cup of boiling water or if you're even more refined, into a pot. Into a pot. And it's not just a tea bag, it's tea leaves now. And, and you allow it to seep. You allow it to infuse the flavour of that tea into the boiling water. So if you like weak tea, it'll be weaker. If you like strong tea, it'll be a little bit stronger. You know, abiding with the Spirit is a little bit like drinking a cup of tea. It's like lingering in that moment. It's allowing our lives to linger uh, to walk in the Spirit, to be in step, to, to hang out in that moment. And, and the Spirit of God is beginning to infuse our lives. Now, I think one of the challenges for a lot of us is, is that we kind of treat our relationship with the Holy Spirit like a tea bag. We just kind of dink it in and out and throw it to the side and come back later on, we dink it in and out and throw it to the side again. And it wasn't the way it was meant to be. This abiding relationship is, there is this sense of... Uh, Lives being so closely connected to the Spirit of God that lives within us that we just kind of walk in step. And so that as we do that, we have a sense of what the Spirit's doing in our lives. Maybe nudging us in a certain direction. We sense the voice of God, the Spirit of God, maybe saying something to us. I'll say about this, speak about this a little bit more. You know, we just, you know, it's those moments that we kind of mark up as coincidence that we know aren't coincidence because it's just the way in which the Spirit of God is working in our lives, that happens when we pull in close in this intimate relationship. Now, I think the challenge for us is that we're a little bit flippant at times with this relationship that we've got, but just to remind us today that there is no other pathway to walk if we want to bring glory to God by being recreated into His image, apart from being in step with the Spirit. So that's all good and well, Dave, but what's that practically look like? Well, let me just give you a couple of suggestions here. This is not exhaustive in any sense. But you know what? I think that walking in the Spirit has to come out of a posture of humility. We are so fiercely independent, so fiercely stubborn, aren't we, in our own... It's pride. It's the Frank Sinatra line that says, well, I did it my way, and so uh, uh, I'm going to just keep doing it my way. But if we're going to walk in step with the Spirit, then we have to adopt an attitude of humility. Now, Paul says uh, in Ephesians, these words, he speaks about humility. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
And the first phrase he uses is this. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The reality is that you and I might be special. You know what? We are. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's masterpiece. We are special. You and I are unique. You know, if, we, uh, if we love and follow Jesus, we are his creation. We're being recreated back into his image. We are significant. We are special. We are sons and daughters of the king. That is who we are. But you know what? We aren't gods. We're his children. And so walking in the spirit says, you know what? I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I'm going to walk in step with the spirit. It's going to take a posture of humility and I'm going to submit my life in under the, our commander in chief, Jesus Christ himself. I'm going to walk in humility. But I also think that it comes from being open to hearing or listening to what the spirit of God might be wanting to speak into our life being open to that we just sung about it i will make room for you do whatever you want to do you know, how, how do we how do we work out what god is maybe wanting to do in and through our lives well it involves listening in john 10 verses 27 jesus said my sheep listen to my voice i know them and they follow me now we can gloss over this but Spirit of God knows when we are listening to him. God's given us two ears and one mouth, I think, for a reason, that we spend more time listening than we might do speaking. But how do we hear the, the voice of God's spirit? I, I think it happens in a variety of different ways. You know, the obvious one is prayer. You know, we kind of pull into that quiet space, into that one-on-one uh, -on -one moment where we just we just linger in the presence of God. It might have come out of doing a devotional. It might, you might have been listening to some worship music. Uh, you know, and, and you're, just, you're just there in that space. You know, prayer is as simple as... Prayer is meant to be like conversing with a friend. It's that simple. You know, uh, I was praying this morning as I drove over to Eagle with my eyes open, of course. Uh, I was praying, just having a conversation with God, talking with him about this morning, kind of what was on my heart, what I was thinking about, and just leaning into that particular moment. That's what prayer is meant to be like. And often it's in that space that it might just be a thought that just gets deposited into your mind that, not coincidence, but... It, it could be somebody that you just God brings to mind that you feel like you've got to go and pray for. It could be any number of things. It starts with prayer. Do you know, it also happens by simply reading the words. You know, often, um, you know, if we are followers of Jesus, we, we say that's really important and we want to be students of the word. We want to read the words. But when was the last time that we allowed the word of God to read us instead of us just reading it? See, there's a difference. You know, we, we can sit down and we can kind of tick off our list. You know what? I've just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've done that in the space of one week. Well, that's great. You know, you're reading the Word of God, but are you allowing the Word of God to read you to get into your life? That just kind of takes some time. That takes intentionality. And maybe you struggle with that. So I'm not saying you've got to read the whole four Gospels in the next week, but it might just start with you saying, you know what? I'm just going to pick up a little devotional. 
Or, you know what, over the, the next 40 days in the run into Easter, I'm going to read through the Gospel of Mark and I'm just going to, yeah, it's 16 chapters. So I'm just going to kind of gently, I'm just going to slowly work my way through that and just read that. If you're not a reader, all right, a lot of blokes don't like to read. They'll read the newspaper, they'll read a comic or they'll, uh, they'll read something on Facebook. But you're not a reader. Do you not know listen to something? Just let God's Word just begin to permeate your life. And you know as you read it, this is how you allow the Word of God to read you. It's you start to ask some questions. What do I sense God's saying to me as I'm reading this passage? Is there something that I feel convicted about that I need to do? Or is there something I feel like I'm avoiding as I read this passage as well? Jesus will speak to you. How else uh, can we might hear from the, the voice of God, uh, uh, from the Spirit of God as we, as we do it? Worship. Gee, I had a sense of that this morning, uh, particularly over at our Eagle Hawk campus because I was there for worship this morning. And it was just like every song that was being sung this morning, I just had a sense of God speaking to me, not in an audible voice, but just encouraging me through, through the words, reminding me that he was a good God and that he was faithful in every generation and that I could trust him in any situation that I might face. That's God speaking and ministering to us through his spirits for whatever situation, because we know what we, we sit here today. We know the different things that might sit around us that we're thinking about. And God just speaks back into all of that. Jesus said to his disciples, and I will send you another advocate, someone who is just like me, who is going to step into this gap and can continue to minister into your life. You know, God also speaks through dreams and visions. You know, we, we don't speak a lot about dreams and visions here at Bendigo Baptist. It's probably not a strong part of our culture. But you read through the scriptures and you will find over and over again that God often communicated to people in the scriptures through dreams and visions. And if he's done it once before, why would he not do it again? Now, I, I know where you're going. I know where the thought goes. It's like, oh, Dave, there's a whole bunch of wacky stuff that comes out of that. Yeah, I get that. That's why you test the Spirit. That's why you test what you're being received or what is being given to you. you. How does this measure up against God's words? Because that is our standards. Or, you know what? God often speaks through other people as well, too. You know, God's word is our source. Don't get me wrong. But you know what? How often has it been that you've been praying about something and maybe somebody's come to you and confirmed something for you? It's not like we need another mediator to help us through life, but, but God encourages us and he moves in our lives often through uh, the way in which he's spoken to somebody else and he puts the two together. I'll give you an example in my own life. You know, late last year, uh, one of the, I've talked about one of the gifts of being away on long service leave. It gives you some time to just slow down and uh, to kind of pull into those things that really matter. And one day as I was walking, I was listening to a devotional, I had my earbuds in, and it was just in the space of that, I was listening to the story of Moses and the encounter that he had at that burning bush experience that as I listened to that, I just had this overwhelming sense in that moment that encounter, encountering Jesus afresh was important in my life. And if it's important in my life, then how important is it then for everybody else that's a part of Bendigo Baptist Church that we would be encountering the risen Christ and the everyday realities of our life? And so I just continued to kind of keep thinking about that. And it was probably about a month later, I'd come into work. Oh, actually, maybe it was only two or three weeks, somewhere in all of that. And I remember telling the staff team that I just had a sense that uh, our theme 
that uh, we needed to let just kind of sit across the course of this year was a theme around encountering Jesus. I'll share a little bit about what's going on in my life. And, and then I mentioned something about uh, a particular book that I had uh, picked up with some of my colleagues that we were reading. Uh, and I said, so uh, I'm enjoying this. Well, one of, our, one of our members of our ministry team wasn't there. And so I caught up with them a little later in the week. And they just happened to say to me, not having heard one thing that I had said, they said, oh, Dave, I've just read a book that uh, I've been encouraged to read that I would not typically read, but I really think you should read. Do you know it was the book that I was reading? Now, people say, oh, that's just coincidence. You're reading too much into that, Dave. I don't think so. See, I think that's just the way in which the Spirit of God's at work in our lives, uh, endeavouring to communicate and to speak to us as we walk in step by the Spirit. It's how it works. We've got to be humble enough. We've got to be willing to listen. And I don't think this is the third thing that just finishes all up and wraps it up in a nice and neat little bow. But I was just thinking this week, you know what? We've got to be willing to then surrender to whatever the Spirit of God's wanting to do in and through our life. We've got to surrender to his work of being recreated, being recreated back into his image. Because we, we can resist that. We can know the areas in our life that need some transformation, but we won't let anybody into that. Or we say, you know what, I'll just kind of work on that myself. I'll let someone know about that, but that I'm not, because that's just been a bit too open and vulnerable. But you know what, if we want to grow and mature and to be like Jesus, to be conformed back into the image of God, then we're talking about complete transformation. You ever been in the presence of people? I was listening to a podcast this week, and some of our staff team had listened to it as well too. Uh, and they were reflecting. John Mark Comer was reflecting uh, on the opportunity he had to spend, uh, the, uh, to spend some time uh, with Eugene Peterson just before he passed away. And John Mark Comer was reflecting on the fact that uh, uh, he didn't learn anything new in that moment. <laughs> uh, but just having been in the presence of Eugene Peterson... It was just like there was something just godly about all of that. You know, when you meet, it's typically older people, but not always. But somebody who just spends, uh, you, just, you, you just have a sense that this person spends a lot of time with Jesus. And their life is being transformed and you just want something of that. It's not about gaining more knowledge for that moment. But it's something about who they are that has been so impacted and changed because they have, they have lived in the presence of the spirits. They have walked in step with Jesus that their life has been forever changed. It's like we want something of that. You know, that only comes out of a place of surrender. Out of the deep transformative work of the spirit of God in our lives. Now, I don't, I don't, I don't like surrender. None of us probably like surrender. It's our pride. It's our flesh at work, isn't it? No one wants to put up the white flag and say, you know what? I think I got that wrong. Or, hey, I need some help over here. I'm drowning. But it's in that place of surrender that the Spirit of God often does some of his best work in our lives. See, it was Jesus who said in John chapter 15, in the same ongoing dialogue from 14 right through to 17 and John 15, Jesus said, to these disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Now, was Jesus saying that they weren't, they weren't going to be able to do anything? No. Of course they were still going to be able to do something. You know, they're going to get out of bed and put their shoes on or their sandals on and you know, they'd be able to eat their food and they'd go about and do their different things. But what he's implying is, for apart from me, you can do nothing of any great eternal value or significance. You see, it comes out of a place of humility, out of listening to God, but out of being willing to surrender our lives and to be in step, to be in dependence, to abide. And if we feel like we're struggling right now in our walk or in our journey with Jesus, then I'm here to say this morning that it's not God's problem. It's most likely our problem. And it comes down to an abiding problem. The call to dwell or remain in this new way of life, it's called to surrender to, in all aspects of our lives, even the things that we might be struggling or wrestling with, to God's work of recreation. God accomplishes this goal of recreation as we imitate and as we obey everything that Jesus said and did. And this isn't just a word for the new believer here in this room in their initial stages of their discipleship journey. This is just as much a message for someone who's in their 80s and 90s and has been walking with Jesus for 50, 60, 70, 80 years. Just as important. So if God accomplishes his goal of recreating us as we uh, obey, imitate and obey, the question maybe for us to sit with today, to take from here today is simply this. How well are we doing? How well are, are you doing? How well am I doing at imitating and obeying everything that Jesus said and did through the supernatural empowerment and enlightenment of his Holy Spirit? I've got to be honest, at times... And I'll be just like all of us. But at times, I struggle in my reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Because still within my life, there is this fierce, stubborn independence that says, no, no, I can do that myself. I can pull it. I can do that. I know what to do about that situation. Absolutely. All of us could say the same thing, Mike. But it's not the way that Christ intended for this relationship to be. It's an abiding relationship. Abiding is not a plug-in or plug-out approach to walking with the Spirit. It involves us allowing Him to have control or input into every aspect of our lives. That's how we do it. So I wonder what the Spirit of God might be saying to you today. I think this morning's been significant. Now, maybe for some of you, you haven't begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and that's the first thing you've got to do. And, and I just want to simply say, uh, you know, St. Augustine once said that we've been shaped by God for God, and our hearts will be restless until they find their home in Him. And if there is a restlessness in your spirit today, then I'm willing to say that it's probably because you're not in a relationship with God. That's the first thing that you've got to do. But maybe for the rest of us, the bigger decision for the rest of us is really this. As we move into this year and as we begin to kind of walk in and through each day, are we willing to yield our lives afresh to the empowering work of God's Spirit in our life? Because that's what's required. We cannot, we cannot imitate and obey all the commands of Jesus without the empowering work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit causing us 
to will and to act. That's how it works. God accomplishes his goal of recreation in our lives as we imitate and obey Jesus in reliance upon the Holy Spirit. You know, as our team comes back this morning, I, I want to just kind of give us some space for a few moments. In this moment, as we just reflect, now what is it for you today? I've been here for 25 years at Bendigo Baptist Church. I, I don't want to just turn up and do what we do on a weekend. I don't want to go through just another year of endeavouring to do what you do as a good leader and a good pastor in a church. You're know, going to keep doing all of those things, but you know, I, I want to see the Spirit of God do a, continue to keep doing a, a deeper work in my life, and I, I want to see that in the life of our church and our community as well too. And it begins with us. It begins with our own hearts. And so I, I wonder in just this moment, so I'm going to give an officer just an opportunity just to, to bow our heads. Maybe just do that with me. Just let's bow our heads right where we are. This is a sacred moment. You know, what's God doing in your life right now? And how happy are you, you know, in one sense with your current relationship, where it sits with Christ? And, and, and with, uh, how happy are you at your work of endeavouring to imitate and to obey everything that Jesus has commanded you to do. And we can't do it in our own strength. We can only do it through the supernatural empowerment of God's Spirit in our lives. I'll let you just talk to Jesus for a moment about that. And then I'll pray. Father, thank you for your work of recreation. We thank you for the story that the scriptures tell us. That from beginning to end, your entire goal for creation was to live in relationship with you. And then to carry us on a journey of recreating us back into your image. Thank you that you don't just expect us to do that in our own strength. We thank you today for the gift of your spirits who helps bring to memory, who reminds us, who teaches us, who helps us to imitate and to obey all that Jesus said, which means the entirety of your, your word as well too. Father, some of us this morning are maybe realizing that we're being too stubbornly independent. It's our pride. It's our flesh. God, we're seeking your forgiveness over all of that. We want to yield our lives afresh. Father, maybe there are others of us this morning who are struggling with different things. We're struggling with the capacity to forgive somebody. 
struggling with health-related issues, relational issues, maybe it's in the area of our finances. And so we're doggedly trying to resolve those issues ourselves and yet we can't seem to do that. God, would you help those of us that find ourselves in that space today? Would you, would you enable us to surrender some of that to you? To surrender those things to your good and perfect work? Father, we want to make room for you to move in all of that. To do what you want to. Not what we want to. But you move in that space. Father, as we lead into this year as a church family, we want to be open. We want to be open to the work, the supernatural work of your spirit in our lives. Father, begin in this place. Begin in my life. Lord, work in and through all of our lives. Have your way, we pray. Help us in fresh and new ways to encounter your son, Jesus. Our stories will all be different. But that will be a part of your work of recreation. God, we yield ourselves to you again. Have your way, we pray. In Jesus' name.